If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on 9 to Noon to help you navigate family life. Well, starting school is a major milestone in a child's life and in their parents. What makes for a successful start at school and how can parents help get children ready to launch? Speech and language therapist Christian Wright is with us. A very good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Some children just can't wait for school to start. (laughs) Others are a little bit reluctant. Um, can can the way you talk about it and prepare them have an effect on that? Absolutely. Um, yes, it can. We'll talk about that actually today. I'll cover that a bit later on. Um, I think really what I wanted to just start with is that um, every personality of every child is different. So I guess the information I'm going to share is a helpful guide, but there's no magic one thing that fixes all because... Um, actually just talking to one of the producers before I came on air and about how my wife often says that she thinks that um, happiness is somewhat genetic. <laughs> Some people are just born with a happier disposition than others. But um, certainly with the school start, it's a stressful time, not just for the child, obviously, but for the parents as well, particularly if it's your oldest and you've never done it before. Um, but often parents ask me um, how best to support children. I've done it, obviously, professionally, transitioning children, but also personally. With um, I've got five kids of my own, so the first four we've... Um, helped migrate from the early childhood setting to school. But um, what it, the question obviously is why is a good um, school start so important? And there's actually a lot of research in this area. The research falls under the category of um, being school ready. That's, how they, that's what they talk about. But um, what they have found is that um, a lot of professionals, so teachers and um, support staff type people, know that early success at school is often a really strong indicator of ongoing and future success. So that um, early success, not meaning just your first day, but obviously that first six to 12 months of your schooling life. Um, And that children's skills when they enter school are often quite predictive of the later academic and social outcomes for a lot of these children. So it is actually quite important um, giving thought to how best to help your child start school. Um, The literature actually covers a range of skills. Um, And one of the things I found, even as I was just reviewing things in preparation for today, is there's actually a lot of debate around, um, they, they call it the, the schoolification of the early years, meaning people get heavily into the academic stuff. Too early. Preschool's about play. Pretty much. Creativity. That's exactly right. <coughs> Everything, I, that's actually, that's the point. Everything I'm going to talk about really is captured in play. Play is the university of the mind, as some people describe it, for, a, for an early, um, for a preschooler. But also, many schools now have got, um, in their new entrance now, they have um, play-based learning. Um, they've started to introduce this, recognising that a lot of the skills that are required for a successful school start, children learn through play. But the categories that the, the literature goes into are the skills that are important. So they go social and emotional, that's one. Independent skills, your language and your cognition or intellectual abilities. The child's attitude to learning and then physical skills. So those are the five areas they often talk about. And um, we'll take a closer look at those today, but... 
often um, what happens is people go for the academic. They see that as going to be the way forwards for the child. But actually, and I can say from experience, but also the literature backs it up, the single factor that most influences a child's school start, um, not only in the day one but in the first you know, few months, is how they feel. So it's the relationships, the social-emotional stuff. So number one for a child, whether they know someone in the classroom. And you don't get to control that, unfortunately, but the research showed that children that transitioned to a classroom where they knew a child significantly um, better off those children because they felt that sense of belonging. Um, Number two was the relationship they had with their teacher, the obvious one. So a positive relationship and how that looked in the research and also just experience of teachers that that do it well. The first thing is they take time to get to know the child. That new entrant teacher's role is such a critical role in a school. Um, it's it's possibly one of the most difficult, most important roles because it establishes the pathways of learning for these children, starting with, as we're talking about, how they feel. So these teachers often focused on building really strong rapport with the children. They would recognise where the child was at with their learning and scaffold from there, and just focusing on the potential strengths of the child rather than their deficits, so building them up that way. And what they found in a lot of the research was that no matter how academically capable a child was, um, learning and well-being for a child when they started school was significantly impacted by things like, I don't have a lot of friends, Um, I don't know what to do at playtime because I don't have a lot of friends, Um, I don't like my teacher because I feel that I can't, um, I don't feel safe with this person because they're not relating to me in a way that helps me to feel safe. Um, Or maybe the teacher had quite low expectations of the child particularly in um, uh, difficult um, um, socioeconomically challenged areas. Um, My actual personal experience has been those teachers have been amazing, but um, it is challenging because these children come in with such limited ability um, that sometimes it's really hard not to see what they can't do. Um, That's just so in your face to try and look for what they can. So setting learning challenges for many of these teachers that was well matched to the child's ability was a really big deal. some children are just more at risk when it comes to starting school. Um, and in particular, there were um, five or six areas, but the number one that seemed to come up all the time, and you can't really control this, was boys. They are just at greater risk for their school start. They mature later, um, so consequently they are often socially and emotionally not as prepared as, as girls um, arriving at school. Children with special needs, which is my area of particular speciality, um, and children with significant as part of that speech and language issues. Then there was the social, economically disadvantaged backgrounds, um, so children from poverty, uh, children with behavioural and emotional issues, and then lastly children who had low cognition. So those were the children who were often at higher risk um, for difficulties starting school. So what can you do? Yeah, good one. Practical steps, absolutely. So. Well, the literature tells us that it's the social-emotional stuff that's important. So um, looking at the emotional, a big part of that that I work with families on is preparing the child. So we'll use calendars with countdowns, as long as it's not inducing anxiety, um, but showing the child, preparing them a week out from school even. So uh, maybe even longer, but for children I find time is difficult to measure. So I will show them a week, and then I'll put into that week particular activities that might be happening from... Monday through to sit through to Sunday before they start on the following Monday. So obviously their birthday will be one of them. Um, 
transition books, what I sometimes will do is I'll make up a photo book with a child. Now, you don't have to get all, you know, difficult in printing it at all and that sort of stuff. You can just take photos and talk to the child about it. But when you do a school visit with your child, ask the teacher if you can take a photo of them. Take a photo of the class, take a photo of where they're going to hang their bag, where the toilet is. Great idea. They can start to visualise it. Correct. Exactly right. So, um, and then you work through. So how I do that is I think about it. I imagine myself in that child's shoes what will they see and do in their first week? So you're kind of trying to take the the admin, in a sense, out of the job before we, they begin. We also, we all do that, don't we? When we've got a big, scary thing coming, yep. we, we rehearse it and, yeah. and we visualise being there. So it's, yeah, a great, it's a great thing to, to do with pictures with a child. Yeah, we do. That's very, very true. Um, and familiarising them with visits to the school on the weekend is really helpful. So go and play on the playground and walk around the school and play games like race me to the library, race me to the toilets, um, race me to your classroom. So just trying to help the child see that. I mean, often for um, I find school starts for not so much the oldest but the next ones is a little easier because they've been going to the school and they might have met some of the teachers anyway. But that's really helpful. Um, Going back to that most important point for a child when they start school, having a friend, if you have a child you know that's in this class, a few play dates before you start and maybe arriving at the same time on the first day so that they've got someone to transition with into the classroom. Um, that's really, really helpful. And often I'll say to parents that when you do drop your child, <clears throat> um, coincide with a natural transition, like the school bell rings, then you leave, rather than you arrive half an hour before, you spend 25 or 20 minutes with your child being there, which is helpful to some extent, but the child doesn't sometimes really want to be there and so that's a long time that you're being there with your child where they're not sure when you're leaving so it can ramp up the anxiety so often I will do 10 to 15 minutes before the bell goes you arrive transition them hopefully to another child that's in the classroom certainly introducing them to the teacher and um, uh, doing a few things helping the child do a few of the things in the morning let the child do it do it put their book bag in the tote tray and put their bag away but be there with them and then the leaving bit. Kiss them, say goodbye, remind them that you're picking them up from where. So in that transition book, you might even often take a photo of where you will be picked up and leave and don't look back. Just leave. You've got to just walk away because often there's that temptation that if I just go back and cuddle him one more time, it'll help him. And it doesn't. What his brain registers is you're coming to rescue. No, you're not. You're leaving again. So you've just re-traumatized me. So when you do your kiss and your cuddle, you say goodbye and then you walk away. And you, it's it's best if you can just head, head and out And he the door. can focus then on what he's got to do, which is get used to his environment and begin to operate in it. Yeah. And transition to the mm. mat because the bell's gone. So he's got to focus. It doesn't work so well when you have sometimes parents drop their child and then they leave them to wander. So that usually happens a little bit later into the week, the first week, because you've done a few of these drop offs, you're getting better at it. Um, I find the first week just keep la- allowing that natural transition when you can of straight to the mat um, so they don't have to wander too much. What of some of the particular um, cases that you gave uh, here? And um, if you've got something very much on your mind, a risk factor or, or something that your child uh, has to manage, it, how, what's the best way to approach that? So if it's a language issue, um, I'll often pre-teach a lot of the vocabulary. So some children, 
I spent 15 years working in Porirua in Cannons Creek. That was my patch. And um, in that 15 years that I worked there, increasingly children were arriving with seemingly less and less ability, um, poorer oral language skills, limited concept development. So I, I would work with boys and girls who didn't know colour when they arrived. So we, one of the things we would do in early childhood setting is start to pre-teach um, book, pencil, um, mat, desk, colours, um, counting, the kinds of things that we expect children to arrive with and they just don't. Um, for some of the children who have exhibited in the early childhood setting a lot of emotional um, difficulty with staying and being separated from their parent, um, we would often do a big build-up, so I would make sure that there were extra visits to school and extra time with the teacher to get to know them and build, uh, build a relationship. Um, because this child needs a bit more, and most schools are very accommodating. The other thing I'd say is that many parents will know this, but you don't legally have to be at school at five. It's six. Six is the cutoff. So many schools are fantastic at staggering school starts. They might let, uh, uh, if the child has particular difficulty um, with the school start for a range of reasons, they might have the child attend school from uh, nine till um, after morning tea at 11 for the first couple of days, then extend it out. So... um, you don't have to drop them and leave them for an entire six hours if there are extenuating um, circumstances that mean that that's not such a great idea. Um, the social skills thing is really important too. So um, a lot of professionals agree that good social skills are linked to really great learning outcomes. Uh, and that's largely because if you're socially really confident, you interact more. When you interact, you talk more. And when you talk more, you learn more. So it's a knock-on effect. So the skills that we like to focus on a lot are turn-taking, so children who do well in taking turns in games, um, cooperative play, so playing well alongside and with others, um, empathy, that which has often been modelled by the parents, but being empathetic um, to other people, which doesn't mean rubbing them on the back and saying sorry if they fell over. It's more than that. It's, it's having a, a strong rapport with a child where often in their play they copy one another. That's a form of empathy. Um, and learning to express your feelings. Children who express their feelings well do well. So I felt angry when, or um, uh, I felt sad when. Those kinds of statements are really, really helpful. Thank you. Um, there's a couple of questions, and we could we can fit this in. Uh, can you ask your speech expert if I can or should try and correct my... Oh, this is a 15-year-old, so we've leapt ahead a few years. Oh, Would fine. you mind no taking yeah, my 15-year-old son's faint lisp? Is it a physiological issue or a behavioural one? It's both. So what's happened is if it's, a, it's a lisp. There, there are three kinds of lisp. There's the frontal, where your tongue comes between your teeth, a lateral, where the tongue sides drop, so you get air escaping out the sides, and then a very uncommon one called a palatal, which is right at the back of the mouth. Um... So it's either a frontal or a lateral because those are the two most common. Possibly it's lateral because frontal lisps usually resolve um, between the ages of five and eight for the majority of children. So let's just pretend it's lateral. Um, then what's happened um, in this case is physiological because there's a tongue sides are dropping. So the brain basically has patterned the idea of how to make an S but has the wrong tongue posture. But the brain doesn't see it as being wrong. Um, it's a motor issue. They've not controlled the motor skill properly. And then number two... Um, it's become a behaviour, so it's well entrenched now. So yes, it does require therapy at the age of 15, that's unlikely to go away, and um, it will require quite a lot of work to, to adjust it, but it can absolutely be done. I treat them all the time, and they're actually quite a lot of fun to treat. 
Another question here again for an older child. How do we support our 13-year-old who started college this year? First term was great. Term two, all excuses not to go. When he gets home, he's fine, but mornings are challenging. We've explained that high school is hard work, that it's winter, and lots of people find it hard to be motivated, but particularly on a Monday morning, he's hard work and insists mm. he wants to be homeschooled. It's emotionally exhausting. Mm. We don't think anything negative in particular has happened, as he's very communicative, and he would have told us. Mm-hmm. It does sound to me, though, um, I, I, I believe what they're saying is true. It does sound like quite a strong emotional response. There's though. something he's not There's something going enjoying, on there for yeah. him. Yeah, and there will be some aspect that he's, in, that he's enjoying. And he is communicative, which is fantastic. So they sound like great parents. They've got a good, lovely um, back-and-forth relationship conversationally. So I guess partly what I'd be wanting to look at there would be um, what is he doing at morning tea and lunch? because that's a really sad time. If you don't have good connection with people at that time, your relationship um, poor in those times, that's a really horrible time um, when you have to just wander around and make your own fun. Um, that's one. Number two, it's a big change. It's a heck of a change going to college. It is. The whole, and I mean, obviously schools at that level vary enormously in their approach to education, but it's a very big shift in the way things work. They do, and the other thing that's so different about college is you go from um, primary and intermediate where essentially you share your experiences with a core group of children all the time. So you have a class that you belong to and you move around and do things with that class primarily. You get to college, you have a form class, but most of your day you're chopping and changing from one to the other, so the pool of people keeps changing a lot. So it's really hard to form, um, for some children or some students, to form a strong connection or bond because it keeps changing all the time. Great variation in workload and how early uh, yes. that's applied. I mean, is this a case where presumably they've you know, quite possibly already done this, a, a form teacher or a dean or someone, time to have a chat and say, hey, what, you know, what's, what's going on? I think so. I think that um, I always find these things are much easier resolved. Um, earlier in the life of a problem, yeah. the better the outcome. Always seems to be the case. So and I would do that. I would get in touch with the form teacher or the person who's the child, the student has most contact with, and sit down with that student and have a chat about school and how school's going. Yep. And what are the highs, what are the lows, what are the things that... A question I would often ask is, when you go to bed on a Sunday night, what's the thought about tomorrow that gets you down? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What is the mm-hmm. what is it that So you can get a hint about yeah. what it what it is that's that's what are bothering you? That's them. right. What are you imaging cognitively that's getting you down? Someone's also asked about the Steiner methods uh, and your views of it our discussion uh, seem to describe it, this email says, are you a fan? Um, I don't know a lot about Steiner. I certainly have had some families who uh, go to Steiner schools and have great outcomes for their students. So I'd be hesitant to say much because I don't really understand the philosophy. Um, But certainly one of the things that the Steiner um, approach does have is they don't begin to teach reading, I think, until the child's seven. Um, So they have very much the um, European approach to reading. And number two, they really firmly believe, although I hear it doesn't always bear out this way, the student has the same class teacher year after year after year because they focus on relationship. But um, in practice, that doesn't always bear to be true. Thank you very much as always, Christian Wright. Don't forget you can subscribe to our parenting segments on the RNZ Podcasts and Series page. You can use your uh, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public or Spotify. On Android phones, you can use Radio Public, Podbean or Stitcher to subscribe. It's called It Takes a Village. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.